0: Our reading today is from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 17, starting in verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was very highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me and say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes. And to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who went sent returned to the house They found the servant well soon afterwards. He went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear. And the bearers stood still and he said young man i say to you arise and the dead man sat up and began to speak and jesus gave him to his mother fear seized them all and they glorified god saying a great prophet has arisen among us and god has visited his people and the report about him spread through the whole of judea and all the surrounding country this is the word of the lord
1: Thanks, Phil. Um, I'm in for it whenever I get home with Jane. I, I asked her to do the liturgy this morning against all her wishes, and, and uh, obviously there's me putting the wrong thing on the screen as well for everybody to follow, so she's going to have words with me. Um, if you've been with us this last while, um, we were making our way through Luke's gospel, um, and we've just finished a section where Jesus has been preaching a sermon to all of his followers, and he's calling them in this sermon to do some really difficult things, some really striking and challenging things. To love people who hate them. To give generously to other people, expecting nothing back in return. To forgive people quickly and freely, even when they have hurt us. Those are difficult commands to follow, aren't they? Difficult things to do. It's not how we normally do things, is it? But Jesus doesn't call his disciples to do things the normal way. He calls his disciples to do things his way, no matter how difficult or how uncomfortable that might seem to us. Now, We recently moved house uh, and we've a bit more of an established garden now, um, which is a a plus and a a negative really, a positive and a negative for me because I I like having a bigger garden but I'm a terrible gardener really and um, my mum, she's quite good in the garden though um, and she's been helping me sort a few things out and we have this rose bush in the garden and and there was me with um, a pair of sacateurs, that's what they're called I'm learning and, and I'm gently trimming it, I'm just sort of trimming wee bits off the edge. And my mom's she's looking at me thinking, what are you doing? And I was just cutting off the bits that I thought looked dead or, you know, a bit lifeless. And mom said, no, 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 you need to cut it right back, right back to here. It's the only way it's going to grow. And honestly, I was looking at her and I was thinking, no way. There's no way I'm, I'm meant to cut it back that much. That's extreme. Surely that's just going to kill it. But I listened to my mom. And I did what she said. Why? Not just because she's my mom, but because I trust her. I trust her as a gardener. I, I've seen the evidence of mom's knowledge and capabilities and her expertise in her own garden. I've seen the blooming flowers, I, I've seen the herbs, the vegetables in her mature and developed garden in Ballymena. I trust that my mom knows what she's talking about. And so that's why I followed her commands. Someone tells you what to do. And whether you do it or not depends on whether you trust them enough. Because we listen and we follow those who we trust, don't we? Not just in the garden, but in lots of different ways in life. And what Jesus has been teaching, particularly at the end of his sermon, in those last few verses, 46 to the end, he says, when it comes to our relationship with him, obedience issues are really trust issues. Because if we hear his word, but we struggle to obey his word, he says, well, it's because you're struggling to trust my word. You don't trust me enough to follow my commands. And the question for us, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, is do you trust Jesus enough to do what he says? As you think of some of the difficult things that Jesus has been teaching in this sermon, some of the the things he's been calling his disciples to do, will you trust Jesus enough to do what he says, to follow his commands, no matter how difficult, how uncomfortable that might be? Because that's what living by faith in Jesus Christ is. We live by faith, not just by hearing Jesus' word, but by doing Jesus' word, obeying his word. Jesus says, it's not enough. You come to me and you say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I tell you. What good is that? And maybe you're thinking, well, why should I trust Jesus? Why trust some carpenter who lived over 2,000 years ago What does he know about my life right now, here in 2022? What does he know about my job? About my family? About my sexuality? About my relationships? See, Luke is writing to people who are probably asking similar types of questions for their context And some of them are probably wobbling in their faith a bit. They're they're following Jesus and it's cost them in life. They're getting rejected by other people, reviled because of their association to Him. And they're thinking, live my life by what Jesus says here. Follow Him in His ways. Are you sure I can trust Him? At the end of chapter 6, the sermon is over. And Jesus heads into Capernaum. And it's almost like Luke keeps the camera rolling. And he says, you're not sure if you can trust him. You're not sure if you can trust him enough to do what he says. Well, watch what happens next. Watch this centurion. See what he sees in Jesus Christ. We read chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. But we're going to focus most of our time this morning uh, on this centurion. Because I think his example is remarkable. And and an important one for us to take note of. Normally in the Gospels, people are astonished by Jesus Christ. But did you notice that Jesus is the one who's left astonished by this centurion in Luke chapter 7? Verse 9 says, When Jesus heard these things he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus is amazed by the faith of this centurion. He turns to the crowd who, who are following him and he says, here is someone who totally gets it. Here is someone who really trusts me. And Luke is writing this for us and he, He says, are you finding it hard to trust in Jesus? Well, look at this centurion because this is someone who gets it. This is what real faith in Jesus Christ looks like and sounds like. And it seems to me like the first steps the centurion takes towards faith in Jesus is to lose faith in himself. He loses faith in himself. This centurion, he was a soldier who was in charge of a unit of 100 men. If you were a centurion, you were a very capable man. You uh, had worked your way up through the ranks. You'd seen plenty of action. You were a leader of men. And the hundred men who this centurion was in authority over, they would listen to and obey all of his commands. But look at verse two. This centurion had a servant who he valued highly, but the servant was sick and at the point of death. See, this centurion, he's used to being in control. He's used to having the authority to change situations, to have people follow his commands. But now, now here is this servant who is very dear to him, and he is powerless to help him. He realizes he has no control, no authority in this situation this is a powerful man who has been confronted by the limits of his power. In the face of death, he realizes he is helpless. And this is so often what happens to us in life too, isn't it? We think we're in control. We think we are uh, kind of got a handle on things. We've got the power to sort things out, to fix our problems. And then someone we love is sick and they're dying, and we are confronted by our human limitations. We realize just how small and how powerless we really are in the face of death. We realize there is nothing that we can do, and when things like that happen in life, when someone you love is suffering, or when death is at your door, where do you turn? Well, this centurion, he turns to Jesus because look at verse 3. He's heard of Jesus. Remember Jesus? He's been in Capernaum before. In chapter 4, he was in the synagogue and the people were amazed by his teaching. They'd seen the way he just spoke with power and authority unlike anyone they'd ever come across before. By his word, he released people from the grip of demons. By his word, he healed people from their diseases. By his word the blind were given their sight. And since that time the news about Jesus has been spreading throughout all the country. And maybe this centurion he has heard of these great things that happened in the synagogue. Or he'd maybe heard of the incredible story of what Jesus did on the lake at Gennesaret. When he commanded some seasoned fishermen to, to throw their nets over the side of their boat. At the most, uh, the worst time to be fishing in the day. The most unfruitful time of the day, only for them to take the most amazing catch of fish. Miraculous. Maybe he's heard of that. Or maybe he's heard of the time that Jesus healed a man full of leprosy. No one can do things like that. Maybe he'd heard all of this and he's been intrigued by this Jesus, but he never really saw the need of him. He was a centurion, he had plenty of power and control. Things were fine, but now his servant is dying, and he realizes how powerless he is, and he remembers how powerful Jesus is, and he realizes he does need Jesus after all, and so in verse three, in his time of need, look how he responds. He sends some elders of the Jews to Jesus, asking him to come and heal his servant. I think we sometimes get a bit suspicious of people who turn to Jesus in a crisis, We think "Ah, they're just looking for a crutch to lean on. But so often it's in the crisis when we feel most helpless, most in need. When we really are at the end of ourselves, that's when reality kicks in. That's when we realize we're not as self-sufficient, not as independent as we thought. And we do, we do desperately need Jesus after all. Often this is when death looms large. Rarely do people in our world accept death as the kind of normal, natural order of this world. The fact that we rise up against death, the fact that we wish we could do something about death, it shows that the Bible story does actually make sense of of that experience. That death is not the way things are meant to be. Death is our enemy, but death is an unwelcome intruder in God's creation. It's not how God intended things to be. But what death does is it gets us looking beyond ourselves. We say, is there anyone, anything who can conquer this great enemy that we have? Is there anyone who can raise the dead? Anyone who has the power over life and death? Power we don't have, because if there is, then we need that person. We all desperately need that person. This is a powerful man who is confronted by the limits of his power, and his heart begins to turn in faith towards Jesus Christ. But he's also a good man who comes to see that he is unworthy. He's a good man who who comes to see that he's unworthy. See how this centurion, he loses all faith in himself, in his own goodness, his own worthiness. Because look at verse four. And when they, that's the elders, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. These men are thinking, Jesus, if there is anyone who is worthy of your help, it's this guy. He deserves it. He has done so much for the Jewish people. He loves your people, Jesus. He's built us our synagogue. Jesus, you owe him this. He is worthy of this. And isn't this so often how we come to Jesus Christ? How people think that they must approach God we come with our own efforts, with our own merits, saying, Jesus, look at what I've done. Look at the good life I've lived. Look at how I compare to everyone else out there. Jesus, I deserve your help. Jesus, I'm worthy of your love and honor. But the truth is, Jesus owes us nothing. We are sinful, Sinful by nature, we have rejected God as our creator. Our own efforts to be righteous, to be good, are but filthy rags to God. And there is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to change that. We are sinful and unworthy. Do you see how the centurion, he recognizes this? He sees just how unworthy he is. Because look at what he says in verse 6. When Jesus wasn't far from the house, the centurion sent his friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but just say the word. That's all it takes, Jesus. say the word and let my servant be healed. You see the centurion, he understands the truth about himself. Remember back in in chapter 5, Peter, one of the apostles, he is in the boat with Jesus Christ, and and he he obeys Jesus' command, and he he puts the nets over the side, and they pull this incredible catch of fish, and the boat is is almost sinking because there's too many fish, and he can't believe what's happened, and he, he looks at Jesus, and he sees him in a way that he has never seen him before. He sees his glory, his majesty, just how big Jesus Christ really is, but then he feels just how small he really is. And he says to Jesus, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. It seems like this centurion, even though he's not seen Jesus with his own eyes, just like Peter did in the boat, he sees something of Jesus that Peter did. See, compared with some other centurions in the Roman army, he's maybe quite a good guy. He's probably not that bad. But when you stand before Jesus, the King of Kings, you realize that you're not worthy. Maybe he's thinking of the kind of life that Jesus calls his followers to live. He's, he's heard some of these things that Jesus has taught about, to love your enemies, to give generously to others, to forgive willingly. And he's thinking, that's not me. Maybe he's thinking of the kind of power and authority that Jesus has. And he says, well, I might be a big man with big influence in a a big home with many men that follow me, but before Jesus, his majesty, his power, his authority, I am nothing. What Luke wants us to see is what the centurion saw in Jesus Christ because what we do is we compare ourselves to other people. We maybe think of ourselves as not that bad. And if there is a God, well, we've probably got nothing to worry about really in the end because I'm not perfect, I know that, but I'm definitely better than some other people out there. That's not what the centurion does here because the issue is not where you stand in relation to other people. It's where you stand before God. Before Jesus Christ. Jesus who has come and who is coming back. The Jesus who we will all, every single one of us in this room, we will all stand before. The Jesus who calls all of his disciples to, to live a life of radical obedience to him, to, to love others, to to sacrificially give of themselves to others, to be generous and forgiven, that's the Jesus who has come, and that's the Jesus who is coming back, and the one who we will stand before with all power and authority over life and death, and we think that we're big, we think that we're good, but when we see Jesus for who he really is, we realize that we are very very small in comparison. We are not worthy of him. This first, uh, the, the man's first steps towards faith in Jesus were—it was to lose faith in himself. Because as long as you think you're powerful or self-sufficient or in control in life, you will think that you have no need for this Jesus. And for as long as you think that you're good And worthy of God's favor and love because of the things that you have done, you will think that you have no need for this, Jesus. The centurion loses all faith in himself and he turns to Jesus Christ and he says, I am powerless, but you, you are all powerful. I am unworthy, but you, you are the one who is gracious enough to reach out and to come to those who are unworthy. And so the message he sends is, just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. That's all it'll take. See, he's got no confidence in himself, but yet he's got total confidence in Jesus Christ. Just say the word. I know you can do it. I believe you can do it. He trusts Jesus. And do you see how in verse 8 he explains how he came to this conclusion about Jesus Christ? Look at what it says. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes. And to another one, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. He says, I myself, I am a man under authority. I have been given authority by the emperor. And that means that I have power over the soldiers who are under me. I say, go and they go. I say, come and they come. In my world... In my world of of my hundred men, I am king. But as he looks at Jesus, he says, but you, you have been given authority that's far, far greater than me. I can tell a hundred soldiers what to do, but you, you can tell the fish of the sea what to do. You can tell evil spirits what to do. You can tell sickness and disease what to do. And all of it, all of it obeys you. People are healed by your word. The next story that that follows this is is one that shows how Jesus has the power to even bring people back from the dead. Centurion says, I am king over a hundred men, but you, you Jesus, you're king over everything. The whole world. That's why this centurion is totally confident that Jesus can just say the word and his servant will be healed. Jesus can say go and the illness will be gone. He knows it, he believes it and Jesus, he is amazed by the faith of this man and he wants the crowds who are following him to see and to learn from this man's faith and he wants us to do the same. If this is great great faith, do you see what faith in Jesus is? It's trust in Jesus because you believe that he is king. King over all things. King over life and death. And faith, it isn't blind. It isn't a leap in the dark that flies in the face of all the evidence. Because do you notice that the centurion, he hasn't leapt in the dark. Why does he trust Jesus? Because he sees that Jesus is king. And why does he see that Jesus is king? Because he's been piecing all the evidence together that points him in that very direction. That's what Luke wants us to do as we read his gospel. If we are wobbling in our faith, if we are unsure whether we can trust Jesus enough, Luke wants us to have certainty that. Jesus really is the king who is in charge of all things. That's why he's written this gospel. Remember what he said back in the beginning in chapter 1. I have carefully investigated all the evidence myself. I've cross-checked it all. I've interviewed all of the eyewitnesses who were there and saw it all unfold with their own eyes. And now I have written this orderly account so that you can be certain, sure, that Jesus really is all he promised he would be. See, back in the Old Testament, God made promises to his people that he would send his king into the world to restore the world to the way God intended things to be in the beginning. Because when God created this world, it was made good. It was perfect. There was no suffering, no evil, no sickness, no war, no death. But because we have rebelled against God, we have rejected him as our creator and our king. Sin has entered our hearts and infected our hearts and sin has entered our world and broken our world. It's the reason why we look around and we see that the world is far, far from good. Innocent children being killed as they attend their school. Wars raging around the world. The struggles and the challenges And the hardships that you are maybe experiencing and carrying in life right now. The world God created was good. But because of our sin, the world we now see is far from good. But God made a promise that his king would come to fix this broken world. He was going to make all things new again. And there was going to be an end to all wars. And there was going to be everlasting peace. And the prophets of the Old Testament, they said, you'll be able to spot this king because he will have power like no one else. He will have power and authority to fix this broken world. To mend broken lives. And so you'll see that he'll go around and he'll be healing the sick. And he'll be undoing the effects of evil. He'll be giving the blind their sight again. The lame will be able to walk again. The deaf will hear. Even the dead will be raised to life. That's the kind of power this king will possess. And Luke is recording what Jesus Christ did and what Jesus Christ said. And he looks at us and he says, do you see what all this points to? Here is a man who does all of those things, who has the power to do all of those things because here is the king God promised. He has come. Maybe you think, well, really? Look at the world. It's still broken. Still so much evil and suffering. The world's not fixed. And you'd be right, the world isn't fixed. But it's not fixed because he's not finished yet. The signs of what he did, though, the evidence of what we see in the Gospels, they point to the power and authority that this king has. He has come and he has started to mend broken lives. We are evidence of that in this room. And one day he promises that he will finish what he has started. One day he will put the whole world back together again. One day he will restore all things to the way God intended them to be in the beginning. Which is why we pray, Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day, for all things to be made new. It's why we, we tell others of that day when Jesus Christ will come back because we long for them to have the hope that we have as well. And maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're just hoping that you'll get this kind of faith that this centurion has, that it'll all kind of click someday. Well, it is true that, that you will need God by His Spirit to open your, your blind eyes But how does he do that? He does it by his word. How does Jesus bring the the widow's son back to life again? He does it by the power of his word. How does Jesus bring any of us from spiritual death to spiritual life? He does it by the power of his word. If you want to be raised to spiritual life today, you want to trust in Jesus with your life, spend time in Luke's gospel. Spend time in his word. Look at the things you see about him and ask God by his spirit to raise you to new life in Jesus. In my garden, I I trusted my mom because I, I spent time in her garden. I've seen the things that she has done, the flowers that she has grown. I've seen the evidence of what she's capable of. You want to trust in Jesus with your life? Spend time looking at the evidence in Luke's gospel. See what it all points to because Jesus Christ is king. And you might be someone here this morning who says, well, do you know what? I'm just not the faith in Jesus type. But neither was the centurion. He wasn't the faith in Jesus type either. Because look at what Jesus says in verse 9. He turns to the crowds and he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I seen faith like this. Israel, God's people, God's people, They were the faith in Jesus type, or, or at least they should have been, but they didn't get it. But this guy, he gets it. See, anyone, anyone can be the faith in Jesus type. It's about trusting that Jesus is king and following Jesus as king. See, the truth is, Jesus is king over all the earth right now. He sits in heaven on a throne Ruling and reigning over all things. And that means that if you're living and breathing on this earth right now, if you're here this morning, then, then Jesus is your king. The question is, though, have you bowed before him as king? Are you trusting him as king? We all live by faith. We all do. We all trust in, in someone or something. And I want to ask you, Who are you banking on to see you through life and death? Who are you trusting in? It might be yourself. Maybe you think of yourself as quite a capable person, someone who has kind of got this. It's fine, things will work out in the end. Maybe it's someone else, a family member, a spouse, government politicians that we have, your boss and work, I don't know who it is for you, but we all are exercising faith in someone or something. And putting our faith in someone other than Jesus might be okay for a while, but then what happens when things get serious, really serious, like this? Are, Are they big enough? Are they powerful enough to see you through? When you get that diagnosis or when you lose that stable job, or when you face real struggles in your marriage, when you have a child who is seriously ill, when you come face to face with death, when things get really serious in life, have you, have, have they got the power to make things right, to see you through? There are people in our lives who we can trust for some things, but Jesus is someone who we can trust for everything. For all things. He is the king who promises to sort all things out. We can trust him now with our lives, and we can trust him even in death, because he is king over life and death. It's important to say that these verses aren't a promise that if we follow Jesus and we're sick, then he will always heal us. In the gospels, we don't see Jesus Christ heal everyone. What he is doing is he is showing everyone That he is the king with all power and authority that no one else has. And the miracles that he does in the Gospels, they are like little thumbnail previews of that glorious future in the eternal kingdom. And in the meantime, he calls us to trust him. Whatever comes up in this world, whatever comes up in our lives, trusting in his word, trusting that he is in charge. We don't know all the answers. There are lots of things in our world, in our lives, that are so uncertain. Lots that we look at right now and we wonder, God, what is going on? Why are things working out the way they are? We don't have any guarantees about how our earthly circumstances will turn out. But what we do have is the certainty to know that Jesus Christ is king. He's in charge He's in control. He is working all things out for the good of those who love him. And he does have the power one day when he comes back to sort all things out once and for all. That's our eternal guarantee. God's eternal, unchangeable promise to his people. He's faithful. He will accomplish his plans. And so we follow him now and we we obey him now because we trust him now. We do those difficult things that he's commanding because we trust that he's good and he's faithful. And when the king comes to finish what he started, we will be glad we trusted in him. We will be glad as his people that we followed him and we put our lives in his hands. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you've given us your word. You've given us your word as as a guarantee of your faithfulness to us. You reveal yourself to us through your word. You show us that in all of your ways, you're good. The plans that you have for us, your people, are perfect. There is nothing that can change those plans. And so as we read in your word of that that future that is promised to us through Jesus Christ, through what he has done for us on the cross, through his death death, and his resurrection we know that we are safe and secure in life now but also even in the face of death lord we we need your help to be able to live in your ways we need your help to be able to even to trust you more deeply because by nature we we go our own way we put our faith in other things in this world that we see with our eyes but Help us, Lord, to live by faith, to, to look to the things that are, are not seen, that we can't see with our own naked eye, because those things are, are, are permanent. They're things that, that will last forever. They're not trans, transient like the things of this world that are passing away. Lord, help us to release those things, to take our eyes off those things and to fix our eyes on you, Jesus Christ, the one sure and certain hope that we have. Hope in life hope and death as well. And if there is anyone this morning, Lord, who maybe they're sitting thinking, well, I would love to, to have this kind of faith that this centurion has. I'd love to be able to, to say that I trust in Jesus, but I'm, I'm just not there yet. Lord, I pray that by your word, you will, will reveal yourself to them. By your spirit, you will convict them of their need of you. And Lord, you will open their eyes. Bring them from spiritual death like this, this boy. Bring them back to life again, to new spiritual life in you, Jesus. And may they go from here as someone who, who enjoys uh, and finds strength in the relationship that they have with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.